Well, I suppose it's easy to take for granted what a blessing it is to be able to be in the assembly of the saints, to come together with God's people, to have the health in mind and in body and spirit that allows us to do that. And so we're thankful for those of us who are able to be here, and it's good to have some back who have been away. Glad Jack and Carolyn are doing better and able to be here, and after being in the hospital, Anna's already back. And I know once we start to name a couple of people that we're always overlooking others, so forgive me for that. But uh, let those few I've mentioned represent how thankful we are to God for those of you who have been struggling and yet are able to be here this morning and to help us remember those who want to be here and simply are not able to be. May God be with them and grant them comfort and healing, and we pray that they can be back in our midst, but you're in our hearts even if you're not in our presence this morning. And I, I hadn't, uh, hadn't planned to do this, so I'm just, just going to take a moment here. I hope I can say this in a way that pleases the Lord and will bless you, but um, I feel it's important to take a moment uh, and to express appreciation. I just want to do this personally, and I want to do it on behalf of the congregation to our brother Ken for his faithful service as a shepherd of the flock here, serving as an elder for all of those years. Uh, brother, we love you and appreciate you for the, the great work the Lord has done through you for all, all of those years that you've served, and, uh, and it helps us to appreciate as well those who have served in the past and those who are continuing to serve right now. In fact, it's good to have the Holtz with us. And Mike was an elder here, as you know. It's glad, uh, we're glad that they can be back with us and uh, be here on this Lord's Day. We appreciate his service, and I, and I hope we said some similar things along the way when, uh, when they parted ways with us. But my brothers and sisters, we need to realize that we have this congregation here today to be a part of because of the faithful elders who have served in the past, those before us. Perhaps we don't think enough about all those who labored in the, the time before we came upon the scene here, but they've left a legacy of faithfulness that blesses us this very hour. And the elders who are serving now, they understand how weighty their responsibility is because they're leaving a legacy. If the Lord tarries, they're leaving a legacy for those who will follow us. And so where the church is years from now will depend on the leadership that we have at this moment. And so we're grateful for godly elders who serve well and those of us who haven't served can't appreciate what's involved, but I, uh, I, I know from working closely with elders that um, the members of the congregation often do not realize the many, many hours that elders meet together and meet with those in the congregation and all the, the praying and all the discussion and all of the planning and all that, that, that goes on and to think of, Ken, over all of those years you've served here, the countless hours that you have labored, uh, we love you and appreciate you for that, brother. And I know you're going to continue to serve the Lord 
And the Lord's going to continue to use you, but may he continue to be glorified in your life. And we acknowledge that much of the good you did for all, all those years as an elder uh, was because of Deborah and how the Lord blessed you through, through her. And so we're reminded of that as well. So I've, I'm kind of flooded with emotions as I think about Ken stepping down, but we know he's not stepping down from serving the Lord. And so uh, may, may you continue to be fruitful and faithful we love you and appreciate you and those elders who have served before and those who are serving now. And may God help us to raise up a generation where we will have faithful men to continue to serve, to continue to shepherd the flock for those who come after us. And let me just remind you, Ken, we think of what Peter said about the elders who serve faithfully in 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. We know the elders are our pastors, our shepherds who watch over our souls and whom the Lord uses to guide us. And so when Peter talked about those who serve as elders in 1 Peter 5, 4, he talked about the reward. He said, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that never fades away. What a beautiful hope. What a beautiful blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Ken and for our elders. Thank you for letting me do that for a moment here. Now, glad to have visitors and we welcome you and we wish we could greet you by name. And since uh, this will allow me to segue into what I want to talk about in our lesson, but you, know, you go to a lot of churches, especially big churches. I don't know if they still do it, but for a while it was a trend to, for the members to wear uh, name tags and to slap a, a sticker on the visitors where they'd write out their name and you'd put it on them. And if they were willing, of course, <laughs> maybe some weren't so willing and they'd get that sticker plastered on them. But in, in large churches, sometimes that seems necessary, or at least it's helpful because it, it's nearly impossible to know everyone's names and because we want to be able to greet each other by name when we can I feel so frustrated I'm always sneaking around asking Denise or one of the elders or one of you to remind me oh what's what's his name again what's that guy's name over there what's the lady over here I know her I just can't remember her name I've had some of you text me and remind me of names uh, and I'll say, who is that? And I'll get the name. Then I'll walk up and say, ah, Sharon, good to see you. And, it, you know, as though I had it on the tip of my tongue the whole time. But I, I because I, I feel frustrated because I want to speak to each person by name. We know that's important to us. And when we can, we like to do that. Forgive me when I don't or can't. Uh, but it's important to us because our names stand for who we are. Our names identify us. They, they represent us. And so that's why, for example, for those who lost loved ones in the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War Memorial, unlike some of the other war memorials in D.C., has the names of those who died there inscribed on that wall. And so I've been told it's a very emotional experience for people to be able to go there and not just see something that acknowledges their loss, but to see the name, the name of that soul, of that person. 
And many times people will reach out and touch the name. People will take paper and make rubbings uh, so that they can have an etching, have a representation of the etching of that name because it means so much to them that they weren't just a number, they weren't just someone who died, but an individual. And if you've been to the 9-11 memorial, that's at the site of the Twin Towers where uh, at the footprint where, where the towers were, you have the, this, it, it's also a very emotional experience. I've been there and I've seen it. And you see the individual names uh, of all who died on that day are inscribed there in the steel. And that makes it very personal, right? We, under, we understand that. Holocaust memorials, there are directories. This one is from Auschwitz. In, in Poland from the death camp, and it lists, it's not just that we, we acknowledge the numbers, six, some six million Jews killed in the Holocaust, but it, it becomes more real when you see pictures of those people, and when you see a name, then you realize these were individuals. This is the book of memory, it's called, at Auschwitz, where you see the name of each one because that acknowledges the humanity of every single one of those souls, that they were important, that they mattered, to see those names. We know names in Scripture are significant. God assigns names and God changes names. And names signified something in ancient Near Eastern culture and among the Hebrew people. And it's not so much in our culture that our names mean specific things that signify, although sometimes that's the case, that signifies something. But we know that's especially true with God. God has a name. He identified himself with a name in the covenant that he made with Israel, something pr pronounced perhaps like Yahweh. The Jews reverenced it so much that eventually they didn't put the vowels in when they transcribed it, the copyists of the Hebrew Bible, and so the correct pronunciation was lost, and it's still not pronounced by some because they treat the name of God with reverence. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because God's name represents His person, and how you use His name shows your attitude toward Him personally, right? And so the names of God are all highly significant. The names of Christ are names. They matter they matter. And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes in the lesson here. See what I'm doing with the little name tag? I don't know if you can read that at the top. I know you'd be impressed. You'd think that was clever. Um, how I, I No, not, nothing, Richard, nothing. But it's kind of neat, I guess. We're going to use this little name tag for our title and major point slides here. I want to call this, He Knows My Name, because I think it's a great comfort to realize that. That God doesn't just know me, he knows, he knows me by name. So that's our title, he knows my name. Write that down if you're taking notes, put that at the top of the page. And here's a few points I want to make along this line here. Specifically, I want to look at how the scripture uses this metaphor of God having a book and the names of his people are in that book. So our names... Our names in God's book. And the, the first time, as far as I can determine, the first time we encounter this metaphor in Scripture is with Israel, with Moses in the wilderness, in Exodus 32. And when God is going, 
God is threatening to punish the people of Israel. Moses is interceding. And Moses says to the Lord, but now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, if not, he says, please blot me out of your book. So he thinks of God as having a book. And those who belong to him and are faithful to him and are blessed by him, they're in that book. But this is Moses' way of saying, I'd rather you blot me out of your book. Blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, no, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of. And God takes up that language. My book. My, and I don't think it's that God literally has a book, though that certainly is possible. But I think it's, a, again, a metaphor to suggest that this is a way of saying God knows. We'll get to that in a minute. His people. In Luke 10, when Jesus sent out the 70 with miraculous power during his ministry to, to be heralds of the, of the kingdom arriving in his person and the kingdom soon to come. And they came back with joy. Uh, and Jesus says to them in, in verse 20, uh, rejoice in this. They were so excited that they had power to cast out demons. And Jesus said, well, yes, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. That was good. Jesus acknowledged that. But he said, here's where your emphasis should be, though. Don't rejoice at that, that the spirits are sub subject to you. But this is what should bring you the highest joy. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your name is there. If you belong to God, if you're faithful to God, your name is written there. A way of saying that God knows you and he knows you by name. So that idea of a book, it's called in Scripture, Paul will use this language. John uses it. You see it in Revelation. The book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And so it's a, it's a great aid to kind of visualize, to, to make an impression on our hearts of some things I'm going to emphasize here in a moment. Notice Philippians 4.3. Paul calls for unity in the church. He says, I ask you, true companion, he doesn't name this person, he says, true companion, help these other women that he had mentioned. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. You see, and as he's trying to facilitate unity, he tells them their names, their names are in this book. He calls the book of life, the book of life. God gives life to those who belong to him. He gives abundant life to us in Christ. True life, the life for which we were made. Eternal life. And so our names are in that book. It's called the book of life. And in Revelation, here's this tremendous text here. This impressive scene in Revelation chapter... Uh, well, wait, let me get this text in first from chapter 13. But I, uh, the scene in chapter 20 is what I'm building up to. But I almost passed over this reference in chapter 13... And here is a very frightening image of the forces of evil depicted as the satanic forces in the beast. And he talks about those who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. See, before the world began, God knew my name and he knew that I would belong to him. Before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And we're not going to explain what all that imagery means. I just want you to notice the reference to the book. Now, this scene, this judgment, this white throne judgment scene, John pictures in chapter 20. Notice how it climaxes with reference to this book. John says, then I saw a great white throne 
and him who is seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there is no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. And then another book was open, which is the book of life. Now there's that reference. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So this is talking about the end. He says this is the second death, the lake of fire. He's talking about hell. Now, watch this. And if anyone's name was not found written, In the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So think about what this is telling us. If your name isn't in God's book, then your destiny is to be separated from God in hell forever. Now we're going to talk about at the end of the lesson here in a few moments what you can do to be sure your name is written there. But isn't that powerful language? And then again, when he pictures the new heavens and the new earth at the end of Scripture in those final chapters of Revelation. And he talks about those who will be in the presence of God forever and those who will be excluded. And in Revelation 21, 27, nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a way of saying only the saved, only those who belong to God, And so how is that conveyed in this idea that your name is written in the book? So what might this suggest? Well, as we go here, I want to offer a couple of suggestions as to what this should convey to us. But it shows us the Lord, the Lord knows his people. The Lord knows those who are his. See, that's a way of saying that. That, that Paul says that in 1 Timothy 2.19. God's firm foundation. You can trust this. But God is faithful. And this is a firm foundation. It stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows us. Well, how is that idea of knowing us? Scripture speaks of us knowing God. And that means more than just knowing He exists. But it suggests relationship. Right relationship. How is that expressed in terms of God knowing us in terms of being in his book, the language we just saw? And then in Revelation 3, 5, I love this when when Jesus is speaking to one of the seven churches and he says, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments. Now, here's a beautiful metaphor also. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And to think this. Now, this is thrilling to me. I will confess his name. To think if I conquer, Jesus here is talking about remaining faithful in the face of persecution. He's writing to the persecuted church. He says, if you stand fast, if you hold fast, you're going to conquer. You're going to overcome through me. And so you will remain cleansed. You will be in white. You will be able to be holy and be in the presence of God. And I will say your name. To hear Jesus say my name in the presence of God and of the holy angels, I want that more than anything else. 
Jesus talked about if we confess him, he will confess us. That's a similar thing in Matthew 10, 32. That, that should be Matthew 10, 32 and, and 33, I just noticed. Uh, 32 and 33. He will acknowledge us. And you see the idea of by name. What, what, is, what does all that suggest? What does it signify? I think it shows that we can have confidence then. We can have assurance that we are right with God that we're going to be with him forever. My name is written in that book. And so it is possible. And in fact, it's desirable. It's something we should want to have, that we should long to have. It's possible to be sure of our salvation. And I think that's conveyed to us by use of this metaphor that we can have certainty. <laughs> this should be, it motivates, motivates, it motivates us to English better I'm uh, Englishing is hard. I'm still working on it. It motivates us to be faithful. I want to hear Jesus say my name. Uh, but then finally, it shows God cares about us personally. And I'm underscoring that word personally. God is a personal being. And salvation isn't just about having our sins forgiven so that we won't be lost in hell, so that we can live forever. It's about relationship. God is a personal being. And salvation means being in right relationship with Him. Now, Bo correctly emphasized in his beautiful remarks as we gathered around the Lord's table that we're a community. And that act of worship was meant to be done together. We come together in the presence of God and we, we meet with one another around the table. And Scripture often emphasizes the new community that we're a part of the people of God. We're part of a, this family, this group. And so salvation isn't, uh, in our culture, this highly individualistic culture in which we live. Radical individualism is the rule of the day. It's the philosophy that dominates. And people don't think of their identities in terms of a, of a group uh, unless it's for political reasons well we need to think of ourselves collectively but but all of that being said the importance of all of that recognized our salvation is still an individual matter and God's concern isn't just for people in general or for the church in general but for you personally he knows you individually He's concerned with you. Christ, we need to think of that. Paul sometimes will speak of how Jesus didn't just die for the world, for God so loved the world. Yes, you can think in very broad terms, and that can seem very abstract. But you know, there are a couple of times Paul will say something like Galatians 2.20, that Jesus loved, loved me and gave himself for me. For me. And so that's conveyed this idea of my name, because my name is who I am in biblical categories. And it shows how intensely personal our relationship is. Look at the, the metaphor. Jesus talked about himself as the shepherd. We mentioned a moment ago, elders are shepherds. They serve under Christ. The chief shepherd, Peter calls him in 1 Peter 5. And he talks about how the sheep know the shepherd He's the good shepherd and he calls his sheep. I love this. He calls his own sheep by name. So to think that shepherds, you, you look at all these sheep and they all look the same, right? How would you tell one from another? 
unless you really spent a lot of time with those sheep and getting to know each individual sheep and even to name each one. That makes it really personal, right? If you're thinking about getting a puppy and you're letting your kids play with one of the neighbor's you know, one of their dog just had a litter and you're letting them play with one of the puppies. Don't let them name the puppy because then you're going to have that puppy, right? Once you name it, once you start calling it by a name, oh, but we have to keep Freckles, Dad. We have to keep Wrinkles or whatever, whatever name uh, that is given, right? To, once you start calling by name, he calls them out by name, and they know him. He knows them, and they know him. You see, that idea is conveyed. It's that personal idea. When Moses said to God, he said, uh, when you see, you see you say, bring up this people, but you've not let me know by whom you, will se- whom you will send with me. Yet you said, Moses said, you haven't revealed to me yet this one who would go before us. And he said, yet you said, I know you by name. You told me, Lord, you know me by name. So in other words, to Moses, that signified some kind of intimacy and almost a friendship with God where God, surely you said you know me by name. You said that we have this kind of relationship. So surely you can reveal this to me, right, Lord? This is the basis on which he's appealing. But you see the idea, right? You see the idea. Finally, in this beautiful passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 43 In verse 1, where God says through the prophet, he says to Israel, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. See, here's the comfort in this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Now, this would be ultimately said of spiritual Israel now, the church, God's people. But but notice the language, I've called you by name. What does that mean? You are mine. You are mine, Tyler. And so how thrilling, how encouraging to think that our relationship with the Lord, it's it's not just abstract. It's not just being saved from hell and getting to live forever. It's personal. It's individual. And it is intimate. And one way that we learn all of that, one way we learn to value all of that, and one way we can come to appreciate it more is to think about all of this that we've seen in Scripture about our names. Now, how can you say, I I said at the end of the lesson I would talk about how you can be sure that your name is written there, but each of us needs to ask ourselves that question. If we could pull out this book, if it were a literal book, if you could look there in the roll, we sing, used to be we'd sing that song a lot when the, it's an old uh, song, when the roll is called up yonder, there's going to be this roll call, you're waiting to hear your name. Is your name written in the book of life? Well, I don't often do this, I'm just going to do this briefly here, I'm not going to elaborate on these things, but I'm going to list to you what's involved in receiving the offer of salvation that God makes through Christ, through the sacrifice of His Son, through His death and resurrection that's extended to us through the gospel. Well, whether or not your name is written in the book of life, I have to ask you, have you believed in Christ? Because Scripture tells us we need to believe in Jesus 
and who he claimed to be. We need to understand that. We can help you with that. Our salvation comes through that faith in Christ. That faith needs to lead us to change our hearts, to be sorry for our sin, to change our lives. Have you repented of your sin? I'm giving scriptures here. I'm not quoting all this now. I'm wrapping up the lesson, but I, I want us to understand. There, the Bible is quite clear. God tells us how you get your name written in that book. So that faith leads you to change your, your mind, and that leads you to change your life. That's repentance. You confess him. Remember, Jesus said, if you confess me, I'll confess you before my father. He was talking about if, if you're threatened with death, if you're facing persecution, and in the face of that, you, you refuse to deny me. You will confess me. I'll confess you before the father. But I think the passage I have in mind here is where we confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then he talks about how he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. Have you been biblically baptized? Meaning, have you been immersed in water, buried with Christ for the remission of your sins? You see, when you do that, your name is written in the book of life. But you remember the language we saw earlier where Jesus said, well, whoever sinned, the Lord said to Moses, I will blot out of my book. And then Jesus gives assurance to the faithful, to the faithful. Those who overcome because they stand fast with Christ, They're, they follow him no matter the price. He said, I won't blot your name out of the... That implies your name can be blotted out if you allow something to turn you from Christ. So even if you've already done what is necessary to get your name written in the book of life, has it been blotted out because you're not following Christ faithfully? You've turned from the Lord? Ask yourself, are you walking in the light of His Word? Or have you turned away from the Lord? Do you need to repent and come back? Because if you do, you can know your name is there. And to think one day that you could hear the Son of God confess your name, your name, to the Father in the presence of His holy angels. How Beautiful, how thrilling that that can be possible for you and me, for every one of us this morning. And that's what Jesus died to give you that assurance, that joy. Make it yours. Let us help you if that's your need. Let's stand and let's sing together.